Hello everyone and welcome to Designing the Future. I'm Jim Anderson, Multimedia Content Director here at Engineering.com and I'll be your host for a conversation about what may be the most important technology yet seen in the 21st century, and that's 5G. Joining me is Fran McKeeke, President of June Technologies and a Siemens Consultant. Fran is a 35-year veteran of the industry and formerly held leadership positions with Siemens, Qualcomm and IBM. Fram holds both undergraduate and graduate degrees in electrical and computer engineering, as well as an MBA from the University of Vermont. Fram also holds a patent on RFID cellular connectivity for the IoT market, and he's an adjunct instructor at Clarkson University and California State University, Sam Marcos. Fram, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Fram, in my introduction, I mentioned the fact that, that many say that 5G is perhaps the most important technology that we've yet seen in the 21st century down there. For, for those of us uh, out there in the engineering community and those outside of it who don't really know what 5G is, can you define it for us briefly? What, what, what do we mean when we say 5G? Sure. So uh, when we talk about 5G, I like to focus on three elements. So the first is throughput. And throughput uh, with 5G uh, kind of picks up where 4G left off at around uh, one gigabit per second and extends from there. The, the spec will take you all the way up to uh, 10 gigabits uh, per second. So really fast throughput. The implication of that throughput now is all of a sudden things that had to be wired can now go wireless. Um, so lots of lots of applications on on the uh, throughput side. Um, you know, one application, for example, is uh, access into the home. So, been tremendous amount of uh, progress is made uh, over the years in sort of wired connectivity, the adoption of fiber optics, for example. Uh, but you know, fiber is not everywhere. And certainly fiber typically stops short of the home. So, so what's called that last mile or the uh, access uh, to the home uh, still is primarily a cable or even a twisted pair uh, of wires coming into the home. So with this kind of uh, throughput on the wireless side, uh, now you're going to be able to have a very fast wireless pipe basically coming straight into the home. So it's going to make... Uh, the deployment and management into the home a lot easier and cleaner. So, so throughput is probably the, you know, the first piece uh, that I like to mention. And, and to a certain extent, it's a bit of a uh, evolutionary development from 4G. Like I said, it, it starts at a right where 4G left off and kind of goes up from there. The, the second uh, is latency. And latency is the response time of the network. Uh, the spec on latency for 5G uh, goes all the way down to one millisecond, which is actually an order of magnitude improvement over 4G. Uh, so, so this is a, you know, it's a big attribute. It's probably of the three, it's the one I'm most excited about uh, because uh, it opens up a whole realm of possibilities. Um, around real-time control. Uh, you know, one, one application, a big application is in autonomous vehicles, for example, right? And the whole uh, C, V to X uh, communication. Uh, and if, if you look at autonomous vehicles, right, uh, oftentimes you don't need a lot of throughput. There's not a lot of data being communicated, 
But what little data is being communicated has to be communicated very fast, right? For things like accident avoidance. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one example. Uh, another example where the latency comes into play actually is uh, industry 4.0 and, and out on the factory floor. So, you know, those who've been uh, watching Industry 4.0, right, it's this kind of whole sort of uh, realization of the fourth industrial revolution and the idea of having a uh, fully flexible, fully automated manufacturing facility. And so when you look at that, one of the key elements will be things like robotic and robotic control. And it has to be uh done very quickly. So you you need this latency that, that 5G uh, can provide. Uh, the latency, by the way, also combined with throughput, the, the first attribute, uh, will be uh, also key on the factory floor for things like equipment that you have installed there. Uh, tremendous amounts of data that comes off of the equipment uh, you can now handle that combined with the robotic control uh, allows the the realization really of this goal of industry 4.0 and, and the idea of keeping the manufacturing line sort of fully flexible and running at top efficiency um, and all the all the things that you can do with that, by the way. So uh, that's another one that I think is is a big thing. For me, on the on the latency side, uh, you know, uh, even a third one. I'm actually working with a, a small startup company that wants to take advantage of this latency uh, for this uh, balance between edge and cloud computing, right? So, uh, and and the whole idea or the concept here is. They're, uh, they're trying to do as much as possible at the edge, uh, but there are times when they need to reach up into the cloud. And because of the fast latency, they're able to do this balance between edge and cloud computing in a way that the user of this edge device, uh, it's transparent to them. They don't see any difference in the experience, if you will, between something that's being done at the edge, at the cloud, et cetera, it's all happening behind the scenes. So it's a it's an area of excitement for me that, um, like I said, I think the latency thing, there's a lot of ways this, this can go. Uh, the third attribute is around connection density. And so again, here, the spec uh, talks about being able to connect a million connected devices within a square kilometer. So again, like latency, it's an order of magnitude improvement um, from, from 4G. And uh, the other interesting thing is that it's going to allow for uh, not only uh, more smartphones but you, and, and more connections, you're going to see a lot of different types of devices getting connected. Uh, autonomous vehicles, IoT devices, etc. Um, another interesting point in in the spec that's sort of related to connection density is uh, 5G has some protocol changes around uh, batteries, and uh, it allows essentially for 
uh, connected device to have a smaller battery and still meet the protocol and, and remain connected. Uh, so that's also going to enable, if you got a smaller battery, it means you can make smaller devices and those devices are going to last longer. So uh, it opens up, you know, a, a whole uh, realm of possibilities uh, between these three things. And so, you know, again, just to kind of recap, the the throughput for me is kind of an evolutionary uh, improvement over 4G, but the latency and the connection density are both uh, something really new that's enabled by 5G. Um, and, you know, there's probably some other points that uh, with 5G, you know, first of all, uh, typically things don't come all at once. So uh, those of us in the telecom world know there's this concept of what they call releases, right? So uh, release 15 for 5G uh, happened back in 2018. Um, and, and that was focused mostly on the throughput attribute. Uh, release 16 just happened uh, this summer. Um, further improvements on throughput. It also addressed some of the latency. And then you have release 17, which uh, targeted for next year. And that will have even further improvements on latency and the connection density piece. Uh, probably another point that's uh, worth mentioning here, too, is if you go all the way back to 1G, right, 1979, uh, cellular standards tend to get released uh, every 7 to 10 years. Uh, they, they also take about two to three years to uh, be fully deployed. Uh, and then once they're deployed, they typically stay in deployment for close to 20 years. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that 1G just sort of got uh, mothballed. So uh, as a result of that, you tend to see a coexistence of cellular standards being deployed. And I think you're going to see that with, with 5G, certainly, uh, particularly the coexistence of 4G and, and 5G uh, for, for quite some time. Fran, um, it's, no, you're, you're a ham radio guy. Uh, so so you're, used, you're used to conveying information uh, in a broadcast medium. Um, the, the traditional way of thinking about embedding information into a signal is, we have a carrier, we modulate it. We can modulate the frequency, we can modulate the amplitude. That's about it. But now the, the, the old school sort of, of, of rule of thumb that I remember basically was that if you want to embed more information and you're integrating over time, you gotta shorten the wavelength. You gotta jack up the frequency. And when you jack up the frequency, you stop looking at something which is broadcasting to something which is really almost line of sight. Then you have attenuation issues with rain and smoke and fog and all, all sorts of other issues that get in the way. Is, is with 5G, that's an awful lot of information that you're, you're integrating over a very short time frame at this point. I mean, are we looking at frequencies high enough that those other factors are an issue? I mean, a factory is a pretty cluttered, noisy sort of place. Yeah, no, great, great question. And yes, ham radio operator, first license, 1977, call sign, uh, Alpha Delta 2 Yankee. So I had to insert that in there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I credit ham radio, which I'm still active in today for uh, why I'm in this exciting industry. Uh, and yeah, you, 
you know, you're bringing up uh, a lot of points uh, and some points that are very pertinent to 5G, right? The uh, the frequency piece, right? So one of the new attributes you have on 5G is this whole millimeter wave. And of course, you know, classical cellular has typically operated on six gigahertz and lower. And, uh, and even on six gigahertz and lower, like a lot of us have uh, Wi-Fi routers, right? And and typically there'll be a dual channel on the Wi-Fi router of 3G and 5G, which are not to be confused with cellular standards. Those are three gigahertz and five gigahertz channels. But uh, the reason I bring this up is if you if you notice uh, the five gigahertz channel on your Wi-Fi router, if you're close to the router, typically provides you with the fastest throughput. And then as you get further and further away, it rolls off a lot faster. And at some stage, the three gigahertz channel actually provides faster throughput. And so what you see just in this simple example with the Wi-Fi router is, yeah, the higher frequency gives you the opportunity to uh, have higher performance and higher throughput, but you don't get something for nothing. And the trade-off is obviously range. And so when you apply that now to 5G, Right. You, you you now have a sub six gigahertz uh, sort of standard cellular, but you have this new millimeter wave that starts up at around 30 gigahertz and kind of goes up from there. And so, you know, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, when you're in the millimeter wave, you're first of all, uh, you have the opportunity for very fast latency, the throughputs, all of these things uh, because of the frequency and the very short wavelength that you're at. But you're also uh, line of sight, as you mentioned, which means range is going to be decreased versus uh, standard cellular. Uh, the other thing is you're susceptible to uh, interference, right, from buildings, et cetera. In the Wi-Fi case, it would have been uh, walls in your house or you know going to another room. Uh, so what's going to be important is uh, the combination of the two, right? So uh, there's going to be instances, particularly in the case of, say, smart cities, where you're uh, going to heavily leverage a millimeter wave. And it's one of the reasons why you see so many uh, focus on uh, deployments of small cells, right, and getting them on buildings, et cetera. Uh, but there are going to be times, you know, the other extreme when you're kind of out in the countryside somewhere <laughs> driving and you're trying to connect. And that's where the standard sub gig six gigahertz is going to come into play. So, uh, you know, there's uh, some added complexity, but there are um, the chipset and device OEM folks are actually working on this concept of carrier aggregation. Right. And in particular, uh, non-contiguous carrier aggregation, which is this concept of being able to take chunks of spectrum that are not next to each other or contiguous, right, and combining them together in a way where it looks like they are. So it provides sort of the added bandwidth, but it also provides this benefit of you get sort of the best of both worlds when when you need it. Um, so it's you know, going to be a very uh, uh, interesting challenge. Um, but 
the opportunity that it opens up is is going to be you know fantastic. Uh, and then of course, just kind of more broadly, and we were chatting about this earlier, right? You have this whole migration from the analog world to more and more things being done in the digital world. Um, and so things that, uh, like you said, ham radio operators uh, used to be uh, very concerned about in the past, like signal to noise ratios, uh, they become sort of less applicable uh, when you get into the, the digital world. Fran, that, you, you talked about spectrum and you're talking millimeter wave. Now I hear millimeter wave, I think radar. And we know that in fact that, that the, the makers of, of autonomous vehicles, advanced robotics, they're very interested in that part of the spectrum for measuring distance, proximity, for actually making their machines work. So is, is there enough spectrum out there to handle this? And are we gonna have such a noisy RF world that the 5G systems you're talking about are gonna work say in uh, an urban environment? Yeah, no, uh, it's um, it's a great question. Uh, I, you know, I go back to my uh, my ham radio days uh, and and the whole uh, EMI problems that I used to have. In fact, I was just talking with someone uh, the other day. Uh, the big thing ham radio operators used to have to deal with back in the days of analog TV was there was a ham radio band at uh, called 15 meters. It's at 21 megahertz. And the third harmonic of that fell dead center on channel three of the old analog TV. So every time I would operate on 15 meters and these old uh, radios would generate a third harmonic very easily, uh, I would wipe out channel three in the whole neighborhood, right? So, you know, fast forward here uh, uh, today, it is actually a, an issue that people are looking closely at. And by the way, it's, it's one of the reasons why you see uh, more spectrum actually being uh, opened up, not just, by the way, on the 5G side with millimeter wave, but, uh, you know, there is a, uh, I'll call it a complementary technology called Wi-Fi 6. And, you know, Wi-Fi 6, by the way, has a lot of the same sort of attributes around throughput and latency and uh, connection density. But just recently, there's uh, a Wi-Fi 6E has, has been approved, and it's exactly that, right? They're, they're trying to open up other areas of, of spectrum uh, because uh, they're trying to avoid some of the uh, interference techniques, right? But I think one of the great advantages, uh, first of all, uh, engineers love challenges, Right. So <laughs> uh, the other thing here is converting from the analog to the digital world and digital communications. It actually provides you with a lot uh, more flexibility in terms of being able to avoid some of this uh, interference piece, because you can do things like uh, uh, time multiplexing or even frequency hopping in such ways that the occurrence of, um, uh, of interference uh, becomes a lot lower of an issue, but it doesn't go away completely, obviously. So I think there's gonna be a combination of opening up spectrum, particularly spectrum that you know in the past uh, either wasn't being utilized or fully utilized, they're redeploying, and then combining that with some of the technical innovations, particularly with some digital communication techniques um, you know, I think uh, 
it's going to be exciting to watch the innovation in that. Fran, now you brought up the, um, those innovations, and that brings up sort of the elephant in the room, which is you're talking about enabling IoT on a massive scale. We're talking about my toothbrush and my Nikes being able to, to, to communicate you know, useful information. You're also talking about moving into an area of the spectrum where antennas get usefully short. Very, very small indeed. So it's system on a chip is where everything else seems to be going at this point. Are the foundries going to be able to step up? Will the semiconductor community be able to basically make devices small enough and cheap enough that we can actually embed this kind of connectivity into the things we use every day? Well, it's a, a great question. So, uh, you know, I, I joke with people, by the way, I've been in this industry for 35 years, and I tell them that the white hair on my left-hand side is from the electronics industry, and the white hair on the right-hand side is from uh, the semiconductor industry. And the, and the fact that I have a, a lot less hair than I used to, that's mostly because of my kids. But uh, let's talk about the semiconductor industry and foundries uh, as well, because um, there's uh, some very interesting trends that I've uh, seen in the semiconductor industry. First of all, by the way, as the electronic industry has grown, right, electronics is, is going into everything. Uh the semiconductor industry has actually been growing faster. And the reason is because semiconductors, if you look at uh, bomb content in electronic uh, systems, the percentage of the bomb that's coming off of semiconductors uh, is actually increasing. So semiconductors are actually delivering an increasing amount of the value of the overall electronic system. So, uh, you know, that one I think uh, is, uh, it's a very it's a very interesting trend, um, and you know the the other aspect of this is so in in addition to call, you know what I'll call it the leading edge investment in semiconductors, okay, uh, seven nanometer and below, uh, we're actually seeing an increase in uh, investments in some of the older technologies. Um, and the reason for this is when you look at smart connected devices and, and 5G is uh, certainly on the leading edge of that, you have some things that, you know, you have to put into this leading edge technology, seven nanometer and below, uh, particularly processors and memory devices, right? But all the rest of the support chips that are around it uh, tend to be in older technologies, so these are the RF chips, the power management chips, um, the power amplifier, the PA devices, et cetera. So as a result of that, the, the first thing I see in the semiconductor industry is you're actually, in addition to the leading edge fabs, you're seeing a resurgence going into older fabs, fabs that were you know 200 millimeter wafers and smaller. And these were fabs people thought were going to be mothballed. Uh, and now what you're seeing is they're investing in them uh, not only to expand the capacity, which, by the way, the, the capacity expansion, I view, is sort of a, a short-term ROI item, right? You, you kind of look in, you see this bubble of demand in front of you, you, you know what it's going to cost and the time associated with the capacity, you do the ROI, boom, you go. What I find even more significant is in these older fabs, they're upgrading some of the software and automation systems, uh, specifically MES, manufacturing execution systems. 
when you go and make those kinds of investments in older fabs, it really signals to me that you think these things are going to be around for a while, right? So, so that investment in uh, the older fabs, I think is, you know, one thing that's, uh, I find very interesting in the semiconductor industry. Uh, the second thing you brought up SOCs and system on chips, right? And the whole SOC market really came out of, as semiconductors have to deliver more and more value, right? We talked about that trend. Uh, they have to figure out how to integrate more and more onto the, the device, right? So the whole idea of system on chip. Uh, in the past, that was primarily done through technology scaling, right? The whole Moore's Law thing and, and doubling the number of transistors every 18 months on the same chip size. Uh, but, you know, there's some indications, and we, we just talked about, right, uh, with the semiconductor systems where, you know, not everything is, is taking advantage of the technology scaling. And so now what you see is, in addition to system on chip, you hear this phrase SIP, system in package. And so what that's doing is, you know, you're taking all these different chips, some of them very leading edge, seven nanometer and below, but some of them older technologies, even, you know, back to 28 nanometer and combining them all together in a single package, the system in package. So you get the same benefits of the system integration, but now instead of it being at the chip level, you're doing it into the semiconductor package piece. So that's another real important trend. And by the way, as a result of that, you know, semiconductor packaging for the longest time was sort of a afterthought, you know, older technology. It wasn't considered very uh, exciting. Well, that's changed. So now there's a lot of investment and focus going in on uh, these packages and these packages are becoming extremely complex. In fact, they're so complex that people are having to use uh, EDA software designed for complex SOCs. They're starting to use that to actually design and verify some of the packages that they're doing in, in the semiconductor side. And then I, I think the third significant trend I see in the in the semiconductor market is you know, uh, semiconductors have always had this mantra called first time right, right? Everyone wants to uh, um, get their chip out and, and have it work the first time. Well, the complexity combined with the cost of semiconductors now uh, to get first time right, uh, it's, it's making it, you know, a lot more difficult, but at the same time, even more important, right? Because you've got to get to market fast, uh, time to market, by the way, um, I'll, I'll just go off on a, a little bit of a tangent because the time to market is just so important. So uh, last year, um, I actually ran a uh, executive conference for uh, 20 executives in the electronics and semiconductor industry. And I asked them, you know, the famous question of, you know, kind of what are the, what are the two things that are keeping them up at night? And uh, resoundingly, the number one thing was time to market. They said the pressures on getting to market now with shorter product life cycles, et cetera, has never been greater. Uh, the second thing that they brought up was uh, at the same time, there's been an explosion of complexity, right? And so 
you know, you see this um, in spades in the semiconductor side. Specifically with things like the 5G protocol, right? Uh, it's a complex protocol. And to, to get it right, right, takes a, a lot of work around understanding requirements, but then being able to verify and validate them uh, so that you can get first time right. Uh, the other uh, complexity item here is uh, there's a lot of use cases that are sort of unknown in this 5G world. And so you think you understand all the requirements today and you design a product for today and it gets out there and deployed. Well, a year down the road, someone's going to come up with a new use case and they're going to say, well, can I use this same semiconductor or do I have to design a new one? So the designers have to have a trusted way of being able to, again, go back in, put a new requirement in and take it all the way through the verification and validation process to say, yep, or we've got concerns. So again, the, the semiconductor industry um, uh, is a very, very important player um, in this whole 5G world. Fram, uh, a fascinating subject. We could do this for hours. We're, we're, we're bumping up against our hard stop. I have one last question for you. Um, we talked about multiple applications, multiple industries. When the average user thinks of 5G, they think about how fast they can stream a, a, a movie on, on Netflix. Which industry do you think will be the one which embraces 5G, embraces this level of connectivity we're talking about, IoT? Which one do you think will be the leading edge and will derive the most value the fastest from this new technology? The way I'm going to answer this is through uh, uh, some uh, work that I've seen on digital transformation. Okay. And uh, if you look at the two industries that are leading the way on digital transformation, um, it's the electronics industry and the automotive industry. Uh, they're uh, sort of leading on, on what I call the broader digital transformation of which a piece of it is strongly enabled with 5G. And, uh, you know, obviously the automotive industry uh, is going through a huge transformation right now. Uh, I, I saw a recent statistic, by the way, that said within the next 10 years, uh, over 50% of the cost of an automobile is going to be based on electronics. So you have an industry that's transforming itself from being, you know, primarily a mechanical industry to becoming a heavy electromechanical industry. Uh, and then certainly the aspects of 5G and, uh, you know, 5G really is required it, it, to, to have an autonomous vehicle, right? Because of what we talked about, particularly on the latency piece. Um, the electronics industry, uh, again, uh, 5G is front and center for them. Uh, everything from uh, products and connected products that you're going to see, right? So um, smart watches, right? You're going you're gonna to move from this whole realm of smartphones to smart watches to a whole slew of smart devices to uh, just how electronic products get manufactured, Right. We talked about the factory floor and having to uh, deploy there. But, uh, you know, I, I have to say, even though I think electronics and automotive 
will be out front. Uh, it's going to it's going to touch just about every industry out there. Right. Um, industries that you know have to do manufacturing um, industries that are designing products, uh, industries that are are figuring out how to um, improve the whole experience with their customers. Right. Uh, 5G really is one of those enabling uh, technologies um, along with uh, computational advancements that have been made. And I think when you when you combine, by the way, the, the advancements in, in computational technology with connectivity and 5G, that's kind of really what's opened up this whole realm around artificial intelligence. Right. And so uh, it's an exciting time. I think, you know, the interesting thing uh, that I tell a lot of uh, my um, clients that I consult with, et cetera, is uh, this whole area with digital transformation. Uh, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. That's no different than what's happened in the past, right? Every time we've had these various eras. The difference, though, now is um, the winners are going to win big and the losers uh, they're going to be gone, and they're going to be gone fast. Uh, the the rate and pace now, uh, with this time to market and the complexity, uh, it it has great rewards, but it's very unforgiving uh, for those who uh, are not able to keep up. Interesting times. Fran Rikiki, president of June Technologies, thanks for your insight, and thank you for joining us on Designing the Future. See you next time.